My heart tonight uh, is in the same vein. My burden continues in sort of the same heart that we had this morning. My burden continues tonight to be for the church. And what a Sunday night crowd represents for our church is so many of the faithful, godly people that make up the core of our church. The prayer help, folks that know what it is to go into the throne room. People who know what it is to carry a burden, to have tears. And I'll say this, I'm thankful for you and I love you for it. Not all of the core of the church obviously is here tonight represented. So many of us are growing in our walk and it does something for me though when I'm able to talk to someone, meet someone, worship with someone who's been serving the Lord consistently longer than I've been alive. There's something to that. It's a precious gift. It's a treasure that a church have godly people who have been consistent for a long time. That's one of the greatest things God's given us as a church. We're to cherish those people. We're to listen to those people. Uh, they have gray hair for a reason. And they're still here. They're still with us. And they're still fighting the good fight. And I'm thankful for them. But church, my burden is so many of those faithful, godly people seasoned not only in the word of God, seasoned not only in prayer, seasoned not only in consistency and faithfulness. Uh, so many of those people are going into their winter years. Some of them have already been uh, graduated, relieved of duty. They're at home in heaven. Uh, some of them are uh, at nursing homes. They're preparing for their crossing very soon. And I think if I look at the condition of our church even and who we are as a people and what's to come is the dire need to replace those people with other people who believe just as strongly, who are just as faithful, who are just as sold out, full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost as those people were. You cannot replicate that. You cannot buy it at a store. You cannot simply create that. That's something that God has to do in the life and the heart of a person. But church, I'm gonna tell you something. We desperately need those types of people. As the day draws near, and we've talked about it all day today, I still believe with all my heart we're in the last days that Jesus could come at any moment. Thank God for that truth that should absolutely thrill our hearts and give us hope. But if that is true, if these are the last days, if this could be the last generation of Trinity Baptist Church, the urgency is that we cannot drop the ball. We cannot let the fire go out. We cannot stop creating, uh, and by creating I mean uh, discipling people who love Jesus. When someone's saved at this church, there's a process now that we are sold out to that they must grow quickly in the faith. Uh, I believe with all my heart there's a real urgency in any area of spiritual discernment. Uh, preachers need something from God uh, quickly. They need to learn fast. Uh, there needs to be a, a boot camp 
for every one of us that we are ready to be the church that we need to be. And all of this needs to happen at a rate faster than what it has ever happened before. Why do you say that? I, I say that because things are so rapidly changing outside the walls that the church has to rapidly prepare to be the church that the world needs it to be. Remember, this in the end, we are here. We are in existence for God's glory. We're here to please Him, to honor Him, to serve Him. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, if you belong to me, you are salt, you are light. In other words, we have a responsibility. There is a real need for the church to be the church. But as our saints, our godly people, as some of those gray-haired, beautiful people head into their winter years, what's coming behind them does not meet the requirements for what's already here. That's the urgency, that's the heart, that's the burden tonight. And Wednesday night we preached a message called, But God, But God, a message for those who are ready to give up. This morning we went to Second uh, Kings 6, we looked at the axe head that was lost, we understood it to be the power of God that's available for each and every Christian, every true believer, and how we truly need to be equipped with that axe, the power of God working, manifested in our life. And tonight, I want us to explore this thought. For God. For God. A message for those who have lost sight. For God. A message for those who have lost sight. Heavenly Father, for just a few minutes now, we're going to take your word. And Father, to the best of our ability, we're going to preach what you've put on our heart. God, I pray for just a few minutes you would focus our tired minds. You would focus our tired bodies. Father, on the truth of your word, that you would encourage your people. Father, I pray for the power of the Holy Spirit and the preached word of God to penetrate our hearts and minds, to change us. Father, our church is in a place of great opportunity. And Father, I pray that we would live up to God what you've given us. God, that we would be the church that you want us to be, that you can be proud of tonight. And Father, I pray that you would take this message to open some eyes, to redirect some vision. And Father, that you would begin to strengthen from the inside out this church from top to bottom. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the liberty to preach this morning. We pray that tonight you would hide me behind the cross, that Jesus would be seen high and holy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Wednesday night we preached that message, but God, but God, a message for those who are ready to give up. We looked at three different people, uh, two of them individuals, one of them a group. We looked at Noah. We looked at his situation we looked at how dire the entire situation looked, how at times everything happening with Noah seemed hopeless, that everything that was happening around them, the situation that they were in, it did not seem like there was any hope. There's a verse there in Genesis that talks about, and God remembered Noah. And we talked about how the provision and the protection of God protected Noah and his entire family to repatriate the earth. All this judgment had befell the earth. And every acquaintance that his family knew, every friend they had ever had, they had died, they had drowned in judgment. And so we talked about Noah and how God intervened 
for him. Then we talked about Joseph. We saw how his family sold him out. We saw that dire situation of pain and heartache. And we talked about how sometimes people can be used, uh, people that are even closest to us, to bring us the most hurt, to bring us the most pain. We saw the character of God, not only with Noah, not only with Joseph and his situation and all that happened, but then we ended our study looking at the children of Israel as they were being exiled out of Egypt. Moses was leading them. Pharaoh and the angered army of Egypt was pursuing. They get to the Red Sea. It seems that there is no hope. It seems that every man, every woman, and every child in the nation of Israel is going to die. And then God gives Moses incredible instruction. God sends them across on dry ground. They get on the other side safely. The armies of Pharaoh pursue. And then God destroys every one of those who pursued his people. Now, we talked about just for a moment in that message how not only did God destroy the Egyptians who are coming after his children, but before God killed those pagan God deniers, he scared them, he frightened them. This goes back to the verse in Proverbs. It talks about the calamity that God will mock. It talks about the frightened faces of those being judged that God will laugh at. It's a very difficult verse to take in, but it's part of the divine judgment. We encouraged each other in the Lord that one day our fight and our enemy will come to an end. The devil one day, praise the Lord, will go to hell for all time and eternity, never to lay a finger on anyone else's head that is in this room. He will be judged forever. And the Bible says that his divine judgment includes God mocking him, laughing in his face, and scaring that booger before he sends him to eternal judgment in hell. That's part of the wrath and the judgment of God that not a lot of Christians really embrace or understand. But that's the terrible nature of a God who hates sin and who cannot look upon sin and who will judge sin that's not been forgiven. So we looked at that in great detail. But God, we left here with a charge. But God, any situation, any problem that I have, any circumstance, any trial whether it's a husband that needs to be saved, a wife who is in sin, a child who is backslidden. We left here with hope that the characteristic of God, even in the Old Testament, is the same characteristic of God and how he deals with his people today. But God, tonight, for God. For God, a message for those who have lost sight. People who have taken their eyes off of what really matters. People who are distracted with the things of this world that do not matter in the end. Let's be honest, there are more distractions today for the Bible believer, the Christian, than there ever has been before. We talked about it this morning, the technology and what's available. There are so many distractions, ladies and gentlemen, that have to do with your cell phone. I'm going to take a little sidebar, a rabbit trail, if you will. If you have a cell phone in your pocket or near you or in your pocket purse, or if you're like Miss Debbie, you've got a 50-gallon drum worth of a pocketbook, I want you to pull out your cell phone. Pull out your cell phone. Just pull it out, put it in your hand. Mine's over here. Can I be honest with you about something that's in your hand? It's a wonderful tool. Say it with me. This is a wonderful tool. Say it again. This is a wonderful tool. But that tool that's in your hand, although it be wonderful, can sometimes be the worst distraction in the life 
of a Christian. What's in your hand can be the one thing that takes your eyes off of Jesus more than anything in your life. Why? Because that device is connected. If it has an internet connection or if it has a cell connection, that device is connected to the entire world. It is connected to the cosmos. It is connected to not only wonderful things like being able to call, text, FaceTime your family and your friends, but that phone is connected via the internet to the most God-awful, horrible, nasty, wretched, debased part of humanity that has ever existed. The reason America tonight is so hyper-sexualized has to do with the availability of such sexually explicit content coming from what's in your hand. Your phone is a source of great wisdom. It's a tool. I have two of them. I wish I could get rid of both of them. But don't be fooled by the devil as a child of God. This is not the most important thing in your life. What else is represented on the phone? Your Facebook account, your Twitter, your Instagram, your Snapchat Name any of the others that you want to put there. What's the one you like so much? It's just the pictures, has all the decorations. Pinterest. Again, wonderful tools. But the warning for all of us tonight is if we're going to keep our eyes on Jesus, then you've got to understand what it is you're playing with, what it is you're operating with, and what you're operating with is possibly the greatest distraction of the Christian in all of humanity. The greatest distraction. You see, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of these places uh, that we have connected socially, what does it do? It gives us an opportunity for us to state our opinion. And sometimes if we're not careful as Christians, our opinion will become more important than what God says and what God desires of our hearts. We'll become so infatuated with being right and being able to post what we think is right online that we'll miss the whole point of what God was trying to show us and that was to be the peacemaker. Social media has been the root of so much disinformation, elections, uh, vaccines, COVID-19 restrictions, mandates. We are oversaturated with opinion. And sometimes the greatest distraction for a Christian is what's in our hands. Now, please do not get me wrong. I'm not saying we need to get rid of our phones. I have a Facebook account. I have an Instagram account. We are now live preaching to the world on Facebook. Praise God. But what I'm saying to you is where are your eyes? What has your attention? Where are you putting your focus as the child of God? What are you watching? What are you consuming? What's the first thing you do when you wake up in the morning? Is it to pick up your phone and to check who is saying what about you or who liked what or who commented on what? That is the culture that we're living in. The average use of a person that's 20 years old of their phone in the United States is over eight hours a day. Eight hours. I'd love to have eight hours of extra time to work. 
My point is, in this day, in this hour, as the godly saints begin their journey home, the winter years they have entered, they have begun their journey home, now it becomes back on us, this generation, the 30s, the 40s, the 50s, the 60-year-olds, to say, I want to step up to the plate and keep my eyes focused on what matters. But we live in the greatest age of distraction ever more information and more technology than ever before. And really what's happening is while people are dying and going to hell, while families are being tormented with sin, being ripped apart, the devil has us completely distracted with a shiny little object that does not matter, that will burn up when it's all said and done. Meanwhile, there's this great load and great weight of responsibility waiting here for the church. The problem is nobody's picking it up. And the people who are carrying it are dying and going to heaven. Lorraine Sherlin was a godly woman. And every single day of my life and many of your lives, she prayed for you every single day. I miss that. The last couple months has been the only time in my life I've had to live without Musette Sexton and Lorraine Sherlin praying for me. And I have felt it. Brother Jerry Payne, a godly man, one of the godliest men I know that loves the Lord with all his heart, with all his mind and with all his soul, one of the most tender hearts I've ever met. And he'll tell you to your face with not an ounce of fear in his eyes, I'm looking for my crossing. I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to see Jesus. And when he goes home, the gap in the wall is great. But for us to see even that there is a gap in the wall as the saints of God goes home, we've got to have our eyes fixed on what's important in the first place or we'll be distracted by the things of this world and never understand and never see what it is we need to do and who we need to be. Ecclesiastes, go to the second chapter, the 26th verse. The first portion of this verse is so telling. Ecclesiastes 2, 26, part A, the first portion of this verse. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight. There's the qualifier. There's the prerogative. It belongs to God. For God giveth to a man that is good in his sight wisdom and knowledge and joy. For God giveth to a man, Winston, Put your name in there. For God giveth to a woman, Miranda. For God giveth to a man, Alan. For God giveth to a woman, Donna. That is good. According to who? According to his sight, what he sees of our life. He gives to those people wisdom, knowledge, and joy. This is the type of of people we desperately need on the line tonight for this church. People who are good in the sight, in the heart, in the mind, in the reputation of God so that he can give them wisdom, knowledge, and joy. It's that simple. We need some people with godly wisdom, godly knowledge, and God-given joy in this church. 
That was the secret of these people who I just described to you. Those godly saints that are being called home. They were good in the sight of God. You see, what happens, we begin to realize that our lives really do matter. Our conduct really does matter. And it not only matters to those around us and their perception of us, uh, my perception of you as a person, as your pastor, it, it may be important to you, but I promise you the perception you should be most concerned about tonight is God's perception of you. Let me say it again. The perception of which you should worry yourself with tonight is what God's perception is of you. What does God see when he looks at you? You can't replace the ranks of these godly saints that are going home if this is not who you are. We don't need you to tell good stories and bake good apple pies. That's a bonus if you can. But what we need is godly people, good people that have wisdom and knowledge and who bring to the body of Christ godly joy that they can say that Jesus is enough and be happy no matter the circumstances of life. But you cannot be that if God does not see you as a good person, a righteous person. I'm not talking about works-based salvation. Hear me clearly. Let me hit rewind and play it again. I am not talking about works-based salvation. I am talking about people who are in love with God, in love with his word, who want to be who he wants them to be. We've overcomplicated this. We've made it so hard and we've tried to put in intricate details from the 1500s and the 1600s and the 1800s. Go back to the root of what God said. He said, I'm observing people and the good people, I'll give wisdom, knowledge, and joy. It's so simple. Be a good person, not in the sight of other people, not inside of the world, not in the world's standards, but in the standard of what God sees. That's what we need so desperately. And if we ever get a hold of the fact of what salvation really is, we'll never want to disappoint him. If you'll start to see yourself with the Adamic nature that comes from your father Adam and the sinful nature of your flesh and understand the grace and the mercy and the glory and the power that was bestowed upon you the day you got saved, then you'll see God for who he is and then from a heart of gratitude you'll say, God, I want to please you with my life. That's what I'm talking about. Good people who want to please God. It says he will give them wisdom, knowledge, and joy. In other words, the conduct of your life matters to God, church. In him, there is great capability. In him, there is great wisdom in him there is great power and in him there is great peace for you and your family. You say, my family's in turmoil. My family is in the hardest place it's ever been. Run to the person of Jesus. Don't look at it as an excuse to give up on church. Don't get, look at it as an excuse to give up on God. Don't look at it as an excuse to live like hell as close as you can to the flames of the damned. Do something that will bring honor and glory to God in the midst of the storm. Run to him and he'll bring you joy. He'll bring you peace, wisdom, 
and knowledge. For God. For God. Luke 1, 37. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. That's the God we serve. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago as it pertains to the four pillars of his sovereignty. That he is sovereign over the earth. That he is sovereign over suffering. That he is sovereign over salvation. And that he is sovereign over his purpose and his will. This is the God we're talking about who owns the cattle on a thousand hillsides who is never out of business. That's the God we're talking about. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. And sometimes I think we forget as the church just who it is we are and just what it is he did for us. For God. This is a message for people who need to put their sight back on what matters. For God. This word for, F-O-R, it's a preposition. There's three distinctives of this preposition. And what I love is it seems that language so just intertwines itself with the truth of who God is. You cannot get away from the truth that God is God. You study any, any, anything in this universe and somewhere you're going to be pointed back to God is who he said he was. You study mathematics, God's in the numbers. You study philosophy, you'll find that it's empty without God. You study science and you'll see that God made the heavens and the earth. There is nothing that does not uh, escape the power and the capacity of this God. That's who we're talking about tonight. But the word for, this preposition, studying out this word, there are three ways that for are used in our English language. I'm going to give you those and then we'll be done. Number one, essential meanings of the word for. F-O-R. Number one, it's used to indicate the place someone or something is going to or towards. Let me read it again. You didn't get it. For, use number one is used to indicate the place something or someone is going to or towards. Oh, Lord. For God. And because of God, I'm going to heaven. Let me say it again. Because of God, I get to go to heaven. This isn't it. This earth that I'm living on is not my home. I'm on a layover, honey, and I'm waiting for the train to take me through the gate. I'm headed towards heaven. One day this experience is all going to be over. No more pain, no more sorrow. I'm going to kiss it goodbye and I'll be home free in heaven. I'm going towards a place, towards a city because of God. For God intervened on your behalf. And I have eternal life. And when the Christian takes their eyes off of that fact, this world becomes a sad, desperate, lonely, dark place. This is not your home. This is not 
it. This is not the final resting place. Satan, the enemy, puts all his emphasis on trying to convince you that everything that happens here is what matters. The only thing that happens here on this earth is what happens for God. This is but a breath, a vapor, a moment in all of eternity. And one day it'll all be burned up. But I'm going towards, I'm going to a city of Beulah that is perfect where I'll sin no more. I'll never be tempted again. I'll never know what pain is. I'll never know what it is to be tired. I'll know what it is to worship God in the full capacity of a glorified body forever and ever and ever. I'm going towards someplace. And it's not Lester, not forever. I'm going home. Used to indicate the place someone is going. And I'm going to a city. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For God, for the Lord himself, shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Keep your eyes fixed on that fact. Keep your eyes focused on what really matters. Keep your eyes on the eastern sky, for at any moment your redemption draw nigh. Don't keep your eyes on this world. Fox News is not your hope. Newsmax is not your hope. The political system in the United States of America brings with it zero, zilch, nada, not one ounce of hope for the child of God. Keep your eyes fixed on the fact that your home is in heaven and live accordingly. Live accordingly. Well, I don't know. I don't know about this now. I've had a tough day. We've all had a tough day. Guess what? There might be a tougher day coming. I'm asking you kindly. I'm begging. I'm pleading with you. If we're going to be the church that God designed us to be, then we're going to have to keep our eyes fixed on something more than the ebb and the flow of this crazy, sin-sick mud ball. This is not it. Don't be distracted. Keep your eyes fixed on the person of Jesus for he is coming for you, child of God. Number two, the preposition for, F-O-R, used to indicate the person or thing that something is sent or given to. My God, help me. Used to indicate the person or thing that something is sent or given to. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Keep on reading. John 3, 17. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. God sent his son Jesus for you. Jesus went to the cross, became your sin, and died for you. It's all for you. It's all for you. 
And while you're waiting to get home, while we are in the fight of our lives, struggling to be who we need to be for the cause of Christ, to be the bride that God wants us to be, never lose sight of the greatest miracle that ever happened when God became all God, all man for the sake of mankind. Don't ever lose sight of that. Don't let some theologian rascal talk you into challenging the deity of who Christ is. He was all God and he was all man. He was sinless and he was perfect. And when he was tempted in the desert for 40 days, he did it as a man. He did it as a man and he won, quoting scripture, so that you and I could see what the formula is. Cling to his word, claim the promises of his book and keep your eyes fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. Never forget that miracle used to indicate the person or the thing that something is sent to. And for God so loved the world that he sent Jesus for us. Don't ever get over that. Don't ever let it become cliche. Don't ever let John 3, 16 be something you roll your eyes to. Make sure you know it. Make sure your children know it. Keep reading the next verse. Keep your eyes on what God did for you. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. God could have looked at mankind and said, I've had enough and sent every man and every woman into an eternity without God. And he could have judged all of us for time and eternity and never repatriated the earth. And he would have still been God. He would have still been holy, but in love and in mercy, he made a plan. He made a way so that you could sit here in 2022 with the hope and the assurance that the great chasm has been closed and that Jesus was enough. Never take your eyes off of that fact. There's hope in this. And then lastly, the word for, F-O-R, that incredible little word. It's used to indicate the thing that something is meant to be used with. Now I had to read this one 10 or 12 times myself. But let me put it in a sentence for you to understand. There is a separate slot for out-of-town mail. Used to indicate the thing that something is meant to be used with or associated with. My Lord in heaven. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7. Here it is again. For God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. What is the thing associated with those who believe? Holiness. Cleanliness. In church, we cannot take our eyes off of who we're supposed to be. We can't take our eyes off of what God expects of us. When we start taking our eyes off of Jesus, what we instantly begin to do is to hold ourselves and to hold our family and our church to the world's standard. God forbid it. God forbid that the church use the world as the standard for what's right. 
My God, have mercy on us if we lower ourselves to their standard. We're the children of God. We've been bought and paid for by the shed blood of the Son of God. How dare we spit back in his face and say we're going to live in the conduct as according to what the world holds as a standard. God help us if that's what our heart is. God said, for God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but to holiness. Be ye holy just as your Father in heaven is holy. That's who we are. You say, that's too strong for 2022. You better be careful. They may not like it. That's our problem, church. We've gotten into the habit, culturally speaking, of being afraid of speaking the truth in love. And Lord knows there's a 15-foot mirror that I'm preaching to tonight. Holiness. What a charge. What a challenge. You know what the point is? The point is that we never reach some place in our own mind where we plateau spiritually. I don't care if you've been saved for 30 years. It should never be to a point where you say, well, that's enough. I'm good. My poppy. I talk about him all the time. He was 14 when I died. I miss him more and more every day. I was so bad I could spend five or six hours with him and just talk. I thank God he doesn't have to live in this crazy world. He'd have lost his mind. I'm serious. I thank God he took him home when he did. God knew what he needed. But can I tell you what my poppy in his 80s was struggling with? as he died at home in this little house down here, the parsonage, do you realize what his struggle was, what his battle was as he died of a brain tumor? I've got to be able to read my Bible. You'd go in his room, he's literally days away from taking his last breaths on this earth and he's in that little room and he's got his big old glasses on and he's got a magnifying glass and there's a light and his hands are trembling and he's shaking and he's reading God's word as he's dying. What is that? That's a man who wants to please God. And his words were, before I go home, I want to know everything I can about him so that when I get home, I've got a good understanding that I can be a person that he's proud of, a person that he can say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And I promise you one thing, he heard it when he got home. You can't make that up. That's not Hollywood. That's not a pill. And as you're dying with a brain tumor, you're not going to fake that. That ain't in humanity. Humanity is to be afraid. Humanity is to be scared to live, scared to die, scared to live holy, scared to hold a standard, scared to be different. That's who we are. But guess what it says in 2 Timothy 1.7? For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of a sound mind of power and of love. Praise God. For God. A message for those who need to refocus where their eyes are. This is simple. A child can understand it. My question to you tonight is where are your eyes? What are you focusing on? What are you really focusing on? What has you captivated? Have you lost the awe of being in the presence of God? Are you cold and callous when you lay eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ? 
When you look at this big, beautiful white cross, does it do something inside your heart to think of what that represents, what that means? Your hope, his suffering, my sin, the wrath of God, all poured out on him on my behalf so that I could have eternal life. What are you focused on? I promise you, if you're focused on this world, you're going to lose your hope. Not to mention your mind, your emotional stability, your edge with God. This is not the time for us to play a game. This is the time as the day draws near that we fix our eyes on Jesus like we never have before. That we see him for who he is. That we see him for what he is. I don't want to say his name and it never not give my heart a leap of joy. Jesus. Jesus. Don't ever lose sight of who he is. He's too holy. He's altogether lovely. He's the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's at the right hand of the Father as your advocate. You realize when you pray that Jesus takes your petition, that Jesus, the Son of God, takes your prayer to the ear of his Father. Do you realize that? Do you understand what it is we're talking about? We're not talking about Steven Spielberg. We're not talking about Hollywood. We're talking about real access, real communication with God. But if you're not careful, the enemy will set little traps to distract you and take your eyes off of what matters. You may be here tonight and you've got something in your eye. It may be that sin has crept back in. It's caused an infection. If there's infection, your vision is blurry. Your eye is irritated. There's no real peace. There's no real comfort. You're always trying to add medicine. You're trying to put drops in it and you're trying to fix it when really the problem is it's got to be healed from the inside. Some of us are not going to see Jesus clearly until the eyes are clear of debris. I know we're here tonight with mostly God's people. But this verse that we read tonight is challenging. That we are called to live holy before God. Tonight, that's what I'm praying for. God, help me see the things in my life that bring you dishonor. God, help me see me more like you see me. Help me see sin the way you see it. You start putting that into perspective. How do you think God, who is holy and righteous, looks upon unholiness? If we believe He is who He says He is, that He looks at it with great anger and disdain. God said, For those who are good in His sight, who give wisdom, knowledge, I want joy. I want to be happy. I don't want to be sad in this world. I want my focus to be on Jesus. Can I remind you that we win this thing? We win. There's no guessing work. This isn't a roll of the dice. 
we win. What's your eyes fixed upon tonight? Stand all over the building. The altars are open as they always are. If you need to come pray, come pray. If you need to stay in your seat and pray, stay in your seat and pray. If you're watching online tonight and you need prayer help, you can put it in the comments. You can call the church office, leave a message. A pastor will get back with you. Tonight, my prayer is that we would be focused going into the new year with new resolve like never before to keep our eyes fixed on the person of Jesus Christ. Miss Amber, sing a song as we enter into a season of prayer together. Father, we come back into your presence. And God, this is our prayer tonight. God, we want clean hands and 
pure hearts. God, eyes that are focused on the person of Jesus Christ. God, for the sake of what's next door, focus our hearts. Focus our minds. Focus our eyes to be the church that we need to be. To be the people, the husbands, the wives, the mothers and the fathers. To keep their eyes securely fixed to the person of Jesus Christ. We thank you for today. What a day it's been in your house. What a day it's been in your house. Trinity belongs to you. We love you. We magnify your name. We thank you for growing us day by day, step by step. Father, I pray for our church family this week that they have a wonderful week, a blessed week. God, I pray that you would protect them and keep them. Lord, I pray that they would be encouraged throughout the week. Lord, that the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit would be their encouragement. God, keep us from sin. Keep us from uncleanliness. Keep us from things that bring dishonor and displease you. God, help us to be who you want us to be. It's in Jesus' name. The mighty, capable name of Jesus we pray. Amen and amen.